0: The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute provides educators access to nonfiction 9-11 resources for K-12, first-person curriculum with video, Discovering Heroes book series for kids, and a speakers bureau with access to 9-11 first responders, survivors, and loved ones, a high-tech 83-foot tractor trailer that transforms into an interactive museum with artifacts, and Russell F. Siller Memorial Scholarships for exemplary high school students of program recipients preparing for college. Never forget, donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Hey, it's your favorite teacher, Mr. Ainsworth, here to tell you all about a great documentary you need to go watch. From Emmy-winning director Antoine Fuqua and NBA All-Star Chris Paul comes The Day Sports Stood Still, the new HBO documentary that tells the story of the unprecedented sports shutdown in March of 2020 and the remarkable turn of events that followed, chronicling the abrupt stoppage of sports, the athlete's prominent role in the cultural reckoning of racial injustices that escalated during the pandemic, and the complex return to competition stream The Day Sports Stood Still, now on HBO Max.
1: On Belly Up Sports fam, Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers. Great sports, biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, I just had my spring break. I came back. I had a Nashville party like Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing this fine Saturday? morning with no cartoons
0: saturday morning with no cartoons and another sneakers l if you were following me on twitter i seem to every saturday manage to catch a big l on the sneakers app <laughs> and nike i was just trying to get these nike freeze to work out and I'm, i can go to the gym now i got
1: the vaccine trying to get back in shape and i can't even get some workout sneakers nike was dude go on rescue.com and they got some air harachis to work out in for under a hundred dollars like for real for real now they're used i don't know how you feel about kind of the
0: i am not about Love it.
1: Okay, well, there you go. Uh, uh, so uh, now we're doing this on pod, but I will send you a link off pod. Uh, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, let's go ahead and jump into gold stars and detention, sir. I told you via text last night that I am calling dibs on the gold star for Pack 12 <laughs> basketball. Congrats to the conference. Uh, listen, Bill Walton's been telling us for years that this is the conference of champions, and no one wanted to listen. Stanford beat South Carolina in the women's final four last night. Arizona pulls the upset of. Of upsets and beats uconn in the women's final four last night that means that the women's national championship in basketball will be two pac-12 teams and oh by the way if you're more of a men's fan ucla the team that has 11 championships more ncaa men's basketball championships than anyone else 11 championships 11 seed, they're in the final four pac-12 basketball is on fire Gold star to them.
0: I would also point out that, you know, UCLA coming from behind is, is great. It's not a Pac twelve school, but Gonzaga is also a Pac twelve country. It's certainly a part of the worst <laughs> time of the world. And I feel like I'm mostly gonna point that out because that's West Coast versus Third Coast is gonna somehow shake its way out in the men's final four. And as a Texas guy that spent some time in California, I feel very representative.
1: <laughs> Incidentally, no teams east of the Mississippi in the men's final four. That's never happened, I believe. Which only means that Kentucky's not in it. That's really what that means. Basically for me. all that means. <laughs> <laughs> mr
0: you want to talk about a gold star sir i've got a couple gold stars. my more serious one is i'm going to give one to major league baseball recording on saturday morning so the decision came down yesterday afternoon to move their all-star game out of atlanta in an effort to punish the state of georgia or get a disassociate themselves from the state of Georgia after some legislation surrounding voting and frankly keeping people from voting. Generally speaking, if you're trying to keep people from voting or make it harder for people to vote, that raises some eyebrows and questions to say the least. I will say baseball I saw accurately pointed out was a little late to this, as in if they'd <laughs> if they demonstrated earlier in the process that this would be the outcome, they might have changed the decision itself. However, I feel like there's some to some degree it's better late than never. And so shout out to Major League Baseball for doing the right thing. This isn't the first time we've seen this kind of thing. We saw a basket do it with Charlotte and the bathroom bill in North Carolina. And I think that this is kind of a a good trend. It's a way for corporations like pro sports leagues to you know use their influence to make sure people have a chance to be people and go vote or go use the bathroom or whatever it may be
1: absolutely incidentally hollywood is on this kick as well there's a bunch of directors that are saying we will not film movies in the state of georgia as long as that law is on the books so uh it feels like you have folks who are recognizing their power recognizing their authority and as if someone who has criticized Rob Manfred and has called for his firing, he gets this right. So uh, maybe I'll ease off the fire Rob Manfred talk, at least for this segment. Mr. Eastworth, uh my next gold star goes to Adia Barnes, goes to Don Staley. For the first time in the women's final four, we had two black coaches going up against each other. Two black women leading their programs. Adia Barnes is awesome. So she's a uh, an alum of Arizona. She's probably the best player in Arizona history. Like, she was in the WNBA. Well, (laughs) well, I don't know if you paid attention to the uh, intro last night, but, like, even in the intro, they called it out. It was awesome. But um, she's a WNBA champion, amazing. Dawn Staley, we've gold-starred numerous times on this program. We recognize her greatness, Olympic champion, champion in terms of coaching. So she is incredible. This is not her first uh, rodeo, but Adia Barnes, this is hers. And she's gotten Arizona. So that program, the furthest they've got in the NCAA tournament was the Sweet 16, which was her senior year until this year. Now she's the coach and they're in the championship game. So shout out to those women blazing a trail. Hopefully we see more black women getting the opportunity to be head coaches at the NCAA level.
0: Completely. I also think it's worth pointing out that these are former players. And so like it carries over when we talk about like in men's sports or like the nba oh or the whatever NFL. you
1: are totally setting up for the
0: detention you know it's coming that's okay that's okay <laughs> <laughs> all i was gonna say is that it makes sense that <laughs> it makes sense that a former player would make a good coach someone who understands the game at a high level would make a good coach and shout out to to arizona and south carolina for making the right decision in hiring many years ago at this point and for being successful and having a great year. I mean, Arizona, I don't want to say came out of nowhere. They were a three seed, but there's a reason they've worn their dark uniform a couple games. No,
1: I mean, and I will say that they absolutely came out of nowhere because when you think about women's college basketball and you think about the Final Four, like... If I tell you that Louisville's in it or Maryland's in it, right? Like those Baylor's, like there's some teams that you might say, oh, are they traditionally the first schools you think of? No, but if they're in the Final Four, you're not surprised. You're not surprised if Notre Dame's in the Final Four. When's the last time you thought about Arizona college basketball and it not be the men's program? So shout out to Adia Barnes for sure. Mr. Ainsworth, how about your next gold star, sir? Uh,
0: My next gold star is a little bit more silly. Uh, I'm going to give a gold star to the Homage brand, H-O-M-A-G-E, Homage. It's a t-shirt clothing brand in ohio they make like the nba jam pairings of t-shirts that i bought a couple of (laughs) although you know my my pairings of shirts have been chris paul and james harden and then russell Westbrook and james harden so those shirts they all get traded (laughs) they've they've been they've been retired as far as my t-shirt collection goes but they've made some cool ESPN type personality ones including one for the jump with T-Mac and Rachel Nichols with a really really funny shirt it had like analyst ability this that and the other and the last bottom stat was dunk and Rachel Nichols was all the way down and T-Mac was all the way up it was a nice fun joke uh, they need to sell that one I saw that they were posting that one but it's not on their website you need to sell that one also uh, I have another podcast slash show with two people on that would love to see what you've got our dunk rating at so <laughs> where are you at
1: homage? there we go let me just say that my dunk rating, I can never dunk. I could dunk a volleyball. Like, does that count? No. I would be the. <laughs> I'd be John Stockton, right? John Stockton was the player who, if you tried to dunk in NBA jams, he always missed. That would be that'd be Mr. <laughs> Cummings. Oh, incidentally, Mr. Ainsworth, holiday present. I gotta go see if they got the uh, Vernon Maxwell, Hakeem Olajuwon, because that was the combo I believe back in the day. Um, even though they beat my Knicks back in '94, I'm not bitter. Uh, let's go <sighs> to detentions. Uh, so my first detention goes to the NCAA, which is easy. I could detention them every week, but let me tell you why I'm detentioning them this week. So the NCAA puts out the hype videos for the Final Four. As they put out the hype videos for the Final Four, if you check out the men's video, you'll see great clips of Baylor, you'll see great clips of Gonzaga, you'll see great clips of Houston, you'll see great clips of UCLA. Then you check out the women's Final Four video, or at least the original version of the video, you saw great shots of Stanford, great shots of South Carolina, great shots of UConn. Yep, that's it. No Arizona. They didn't even put Arizona (laughs) in the video. So then they had to go back, remake the video, and then actually add clips of Arizona. Do you think that that made it onto the bulletin board, Mr. Ainsworth, as Arizona is beating UConn in the uh, Final Four game last night? Like, that's crazy to have a team. There's only four teams. How do you mess that up? There's only four. Like, oh my gosh. Um, That is not one shining moment by the NCAA.
0: (laughs) It's funny because it's not even like you're saying they need equal airtime. I mean, they're lowest seed. I get it, whatever. But, like, you just say need to be in
1: it. <laughs> like, I think that that's fair. I think that's fair. Adia Barnes actually, I mean, and this is a serious point. Adia Barnes pointed out hey, listen, four teams worked hard to get here. So, when you do that, just understand the level of disrespect for the women who in this season this COVID crazy season between you can't get weight rooms right you can only imagine the level of disrespect that Arizona must have felt going into that UConn game and oh by the way I told my wife before the game started like the only way Arizona can win this thing is to play a pace game and pray because I thought that UConn would run them off the court UConn and we said this via text Mr. Ainsworth I never felt they were in that game I felt like Arizona's defense dominated that game from tip to final whistle shout out to Arizona and I apologize for my disrespect. I hope the NCAA does the same.
0: Well, and UConn has no seniors, and so I think they look like a team that needed some upperclassmen leadership, right? They look shook. They were face guarding Paige for 94 feet. The other four girls were playing 4-on-4, four four, and there was just a very intense high level of defense. It was scrappy. It was physical. Grabbed a lot of physicality to get away. And so, like, <laughs> it looked like this kind of game where all of a sudden, like, UConn looked like the team with no seniors. Meanwhile, Ari McDonald is the star we wanted to see in the Final Four. Um, I, I wrote a whole piece leading up to the Final Four about, like, how... I think the women's tournament's been better, in part because you've had these like single-person appearances like Paige Beckers in the Elite Eight or uh, Aaliyah Boston or whomever, and last night, that girl was Ari McDonald. I mean, it was tremendous.
1: No, absolutely, and one of the things that the NCAA Women's Tournament will get right as long as they don't change the rule is that those girls have to come back. So once you get to know their names, you get to know their names for a while versus in the men's tournament. Listen, we love Cade Cunningham. He's gone. He's already declared for the draft. He will be the first pick in all likelihood.
0: Well, interestingly enough, I think that's what adds to it being a better tournament right is that like the best players in the world between the ages of 18 and 22 are in it as opposed to being in the nba or whatever you know no
1: absolutely um, incidentally friends make sure that everyone is like real cool that you got uconn in south carolina this year because i i told mr ainsworth this no one's getting them next year unless those teams play each other they will be undefeated on the way to the championship game in my opinion those teams are incredibly good mr ainsworth how about a detention from you sir
0: speaking of people watching women's college basketball or women's basketball in general i'm gonna detention draymond green who decided to double down on quite a bad <laughs> take this week so last week draymond got flack for a long span of tweets that he basically was arguing women aren't doing enough to promote their game and themselves and they're asking for other people to do it for them and that's the crux of this payment issue and i think frankly it- he got too much benefit of the doubt last week, but in the pre- in the first set of statements, it came down to people saying, well, it's Twitter, it's hard to get it all out, in a handful of 280-character tweets, like, whatever, whatever. And then, so this week, in a, I forget it was post-game or post-practice, but a press conference with, like, on Zoom or whatever, he doubled down on the take and went really, really hard on this idea that someone like Paige Beckers and the women need to, like, force the hand and force the this and say that I'm gonna go out for the WNBA draft anyway and this, the other thing, and it's like, and try and promote the game on, like... Act like it's up to them to get it on TV more, and and the same thing. It's like. Do you not pay attention to what these women have been doing? This league is 25 years old. <laughs> like, like, they have major ESPN deals. They're they're on Wednesday nights all summer long. They're asking for more ad revenue. They're asking for more ad time on TV. Like they're they're doing every single appearance you'll give them. They're doing all they like they're doing all these things, Draymond. Where have you been? What have you been watching? And, and I love that someone said in reply to him, well, there's a handful of people that said just this idea that like Draymond, you have the millions of dollars if you want to. Fix this, you can. (laughs) not Like this is really important to you, Draymond. If you really think that this is a social justice hill you want to die on, you can buy part of a team. renee Montgomery just did it, right? Like you can do it. I think that
1: that actually is to, to Draymond's point, right? Which is that they should fix it themselves. Which is a it's a ridiculous point. It's almost as if he doesn't recognize the privilege that he has to have that perspective. Like he doesn't recognize the fact that once upon a time the NBA was in the same boat as the WNBA, where literally the finals was tape delayed you knew right. you knew who the winner was but they didn't put the game on television until the next day like once upon a time in my lifetime not in mr ainsworth's lifetime because mr ainsworth is he's still got baby's milk on his breath but mr cummings <laughs> lifetime like that was a lived experience in a reality right and so i mean draymond speaking from a position of privilege that i don't think that he recognizes which you know i guess ultimately isn't that the goal for people to have this level of privilege that they they don't even recognize because their lived experience is so regular that now they don't recognize how tough it was to actually get there. It's it's a ridiculous take from my perspective. I 100% agree with you, Mr. Ainsworth. I, I got one more detention for you, Mr. Ainsworth. My detention goes to you, sir. Because we had this conversation <laughs> over Twitter and then it went to text about picking a college basketball coach and I thought your takes were awful now um let me say this congratulations to Texas because we both agree Texas got this right because they went to Texas Tech (laughs) they got Chris Beard Brought him over. I think the $4 million buyout, there's a boost that'll pay that in two seconds to bring the right basketball coach over. We haven't heard the annual numbers yet. I'm imagining that they're going to be quite significant. So uh, shout out to Coach Beard. I do think that he has every opportunity to take that Texas program to heights that they haven't seen. He's that good a coach. I mean, he went to a championship game with Texas Tech. With Texas's resources, he should be A-okay. That being said, um, the takes that I didn't enjoy from you, sir, we were of the impression that maybe chris beard doesn't get this gig and you were out there kind of talking about royal ivy
0: can i get one thing in on beard please, please. i I do want to say that we both agreed it might not have been on twitter or text i forget which one it was that beard or samson from houston would have been oh yeah absolutely calvin the choice was just about how much money it was because frankly beard is making almost five million dollars a year at tech as a base salary texas has never paid a basketball coach over 3.1 and it looks like they're going to sign him up for a base of seven years five million plus incentive or seven years 35 million plus incentive so five million so they really did they're paying a basketball coach almost twice as much as they've ever paid a basketball coach now so neither one of us saw coming so that was that was the no, starting point of the argument absolutely that, like, that we, was where we started from and we
1: agreed on those perspectives so that's not really detention so let's go to the detention stuff um you wanted uh royal ivy to potentially get the gig who's a former player at the university of texas currently has nba experience and so my take with you was just because you're a former player that does not necessarily mean that you'd be a good coach and also just because you have nba coaching experience doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach and i said andy enfield who's the head guy at usc could have made a lot of sense because he's like he's basically basketball mac brown to texas in my opinion you did not enjoy andy enfield at all sir um you kind of down the dude who took florida gulf coast to a sweet 16 and had usc in the elite eight this year, I hate that tape. I just felt like it was a very lateral move. I, I didn't think there was any
0: high ceiling, any any higher a ceiling there than we've had. And if the goal is to be getting better. I know we didn't fire Shaka, the Shaka uh, smart, that is. I think that the word on the street there was that next year's team looks like it's not great because the incoming recruiting classes for the Texas standards not great. You anticipate a lot of these current guys going pro, whether it's Jericho Sims had a great run or Greg Brown was always going to be a one-and-done or Andrew Jones is finally healed up from the chemo treatment, stuff like that, so it's about time for him to go. Whatever the case may be, it looks like next year's season going to be great, and it sounds like even though they won the Big 12, he was basically going to get fed the Wolves next year and then accidentally the next year because people are not pleased with his NCAA tournament success. I I just... I'm not so sure that infield was a much more vertical move, or at least... The Royal Ivy sign to me was a lower floor, higher ceiling kind of move. I thought the deal there is that this. I think it's worth giving guys chances to be head coach. He needs a first job somewhere. He's been on the assistant coach ranks for a long time. He is an alum. He understands university. His social media presence already is a walking advertisement for the university. He's been coaching with the Brooklyn Nets, Oklahoma City Thunder. There's nothing about the Nets or Thunder in his profile anywhere. It's all Texas all the time. He's the guy.
1: Okay. I mean, all that's all well and good. That does not mean that he should have gotten or that he was a better candidate than Andy Enfield which is that was my issue was this Mr. Ainsworth you if you believe that Royal Ivy is the better candidate that's fine I'm not going to convince you that you're wrong there but to down Andy Enfield to prove your point I I don't like that like you could say listen Royal Ivy everything you just said is fine and you could say Andy Enfield is a respectable coach like Andy Enfield would be a choice that could make some sense you just want Royal Ivy which is fine um, but to act like what Andy Enfield has done, both at Florida Gulf Coast and at USC, is nothing – or it's somehow lesser, like, nah, we can't get behind that. We can't support that. Um, especially, like, your Houston Rockets want one of the dudes that Andy Enfield's been recruiting, right? So he showed you— We want could... lots of dudes that lots of people have been well, recruiting. Well, I'm just saying, he showed he showed you he can recruit. That's all I'm saying, and that's a big part of the deal. I don't know what Royal Ivy would do as a recruiter because he's never had to do it before. You know, And let me say this. I'm not dogging Royal Ivy. I'm just saying Andy Enfield made more sense to me. Maybe Royal Ivy does make some sense, but it looks like this won't be his first job, right? Texas probably made the right <laughs> Move. Well, well and, and to be
0: fair, like the entire basis was like on the understanding that either one, Samson or Beard, would have been yes, in state yes, and yes. better hire. So listen, maybe um,
1: Royal Ivy gets the job in North Carolina. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> he ain't getting that good. Um Mr. <laughs> I think you have one more detention, sir. Yeah, my other detention's gonna go
0: to not just stick women's basketball all gold star detentions longer. I'm gonna go to the WNBA for this jersey gate thing. So Nike has said they're rolling out a new set of WNBA jerseys. Much like the NBA, where they have more like three or four, and there's like two or you know one or two alternates and this and and so on. It looks really cool. It's cool to see some interest being put into the swag of the WNBA. However, Nike said that WNBA said that's what's happening. It's the 25th year in the WNBA, so in theory, theory there'd be some you know marking of that on the jersey, whatever. Too. They've been leaking at Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy Sports and Outdoors across the country. You've seen people posting on Twitter these pictures of jerseys. Yes, I have absolutely all over the internet. The WNBA has made no formal announcement of any of it. None of it's available on their website, and they've made no press release on any of it. It's all been leaked because Nike's already gotten it to the consumer, and there's no way to see what's official and what's not. And so, anyway, it's just a, that seems to be a fumbling of the bag of sorts for the WNBA. It could have been a big launch and big drop. I also have to say that I really, really like the like military green Dallas Wings uniform. Uh, it's (laughs) it's It's a cool look. It frankly looks like, we're fighting in the cold war again but with how young the dallas wings are we really might have games like that so shout out to <laughs> nike for doing it but the tension for the wnba for how
1: they rolled it out listen the fact that you're rooting for the dallas wings only means that they need to bring the houston Comets back because <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, and let me say this like uh you're detentioning uh the wnba this is guerrilla marketing like maybe you wouldn't even know about the jerseys <laughs> if they put something out friends we have a wonderful podcast that's coming up we're gonna talk nba buyout market We're going to talk the NFL and adding a 17th game. And we're going to talk Major League Baseball and pine tar. So, without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. Lots of talk on Twitter this week about the NBA buyout market. I don't know if it's just haters or what. So let's have the conversation. (laughs) The uh, thesis statement reads, The NBA needs to change their rules regarding buyouts of player contracts i say that to you mr ainsworth how are you gonna grade that thesis statement i'm going f i don't anyway i'm going f and we'll talk about it in a second uh what do you think mr cummings so i'm an f as well like i feel like i'm an f because i've heard very specific arguments that are stupid so i don't know exactly. if i'm just arguing against those or what Okay, Mr. Ainsworth and I both ruined our ratings on Rate a Teacher because we're giving out Fs all over the place. Both failed the thesis statement that the NBA needs to change their rules regarding buyouts of player contracts. Now, before we dive too deep into it, Mr. Ainsworth, just want to give folks a little bit of background. So just understand what a buyout is, right? Essentially, you got a team and a player who both want to break up. Right. This is, this is a financial breakup letter. They will negotiate, they will negotiate terms on the player giving back a certain amount of guaranteed money within their contract. And as long as the player is willing to give back that portion of guaranteed money, the team will give that player an unconditional release. So that the player can go to free agency. Now the player must clear waivers. So you have to go through the waiver process in the NBA. And the player cannot re-sign with the team that bought them out for at least a year. Or until the end of their contract. Whichever comes last. Whichever comes last in terms of that contract contract being bought out, right? So normally what happens is you get players who are on the last year of their deal and they get bought out. It's unique in this year because Blake Griffin was not on the last year of his deal. He's the rare exception where he had multiple years left and Detroit still bought him out. So then those players are on waivers Once they clear waivers, they can sign with whomever they like. Intuitively, you would think, oh, well, the teams that have cap room should be able to go get these guys. But most of the time, these folks who hit the buyout market sign for the veterans minimum and go to a team that can actually win. Right. So that's normally what happens. So I say all that. We both failed the idea that this system needs to change. So, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm curious as to your take, sir. Why are you pro buyout market? So I think there's a few. Things involved
0: here. I think first, this is a big problem to people right now because buyout candidates we know the names of went to Brooklyn and Los Angeles, right? I think that most people see that as like this backwards way for them to hit the free agency market in the middle of the season and get better, as opposed to what it's almost exclusively been used for, which is getting rid of a guy that isn't helping your team. Or if you're a you know trending downward team looking forward to the draft and you have some elder statesmen you know doing right by them paying them out to let them go contender because you're not going to contend it's typically used in those kinds of ways and that's not what happened specifically with Andre Drummond I, <laughs> I would argue that's actually exactly what happened with Blake Griffin Lamarcus Aldridge but that's not absolutely and so you've got people saying well this isn't right because how can you have this free agency market of sorts hit in the middle of the season? Here's my answer to all of that. The Lakers and the Nets succeeded by watching franchises like the Cavs, the Pistons, and yes, the San Antonio Spurs all dork this up. And here's the deal is at some point those teams each said, we are no longer suiting this guy up, we're going to get rid of them. And the Nets and Lakers said, we have really intriguing options here. We know that those guys like guys on our teams. And we know that if it hits a free agency market of sorts, we have a really good sales pitch. And so they sat back and watched while San Antonio and Cleveland and Detroit did not make trades. They could not move the guys because everyone knew at some point they were going to have to buy those guys out. They're not going to just suit them up randomly, right? And so once you publicly say, we're no longer suiting up LaMarcus Aldridge, or we're no longer suiting up Blake Griffin, you're really screwing yourself over. That's bad management. And the Spurs are not a franchise that typically does that. Cleveland and Detroit, this is very much par for the course. But San Antonio is not that team, right? I see this as like, it's not punishment. If some teams are just poorly run, run your team better. Don't don't shelf the guys (laughs) don't shelf these guys in the middle like if Andre Drummond is 27 years old and a tremendous rebounder and a defensive presence I don't know that I mean brings that much to the offensive end but I think other people would argue with me on that and if that's the case don't shelf him showcase him and then trade him I don't
1: get I don't see what the problem there is no listen I 100% agree with every take that you made like the the arguments that I saw on Twitter for getting rid of the buyout market, were some of the stupidest arguments I've ever seen. So there was literally someone who I replied to, and this is someone who you know thinks that they're in sports media and knows what they're talking about. And they're like, oh, the buyout market has to change. And I said, well, help me to understand what's bad about it. And literally the thing that they said was bad about it, Was that players become free agents and can sign wherever they want. And it's like, oh my gosh, do you hate free agency? Like, are you anti-Kirk Flood? Like, do you have a problem with the buyout market? Do you have a problem with free agency overall? Because that's not a good argument for getting rid of the buyout market. That's an argument for free agency being bad. And so... If I am a player and I am free to sign with whom I want, that's not a problem for me. I can sign wherever I want. The team has released me. I am free. No (laughs) one has to sign me. Oh, by the way, just let me languish out here. So the fact that my services are still wanted, they're just not wanted by the team I was playing for. That's not my problem. That's that team's problem and if the idea is get rid of the buyout market so that everyone gets traded you honestly believe that detroit wasn't trying to trade blake griffin of course they were you think that lamarcus aldridge wasn't on, yeah. well i mean these teams were trying to trade these guys no one wanted them because no one's going to take on the bloated contracts right. that these guys had because you mismanaged and signed it signed them to these bloated contracts right so like don't be mad at the knicks for not wanting to trade for blake griffin and give up assets that they have in order to pick him up no no we don't want him just like Another. you don't just like you don't want him just you know like what i mean want
0: the other function of this is typically after a buyout because you're getting a large lump sum of cash you see these guys sign on the cheap cheap for the rest of the season right a team like the nets that has so much money tied up in three players can add blake griffin and lamarcus because they are taking so much less money than normal because of the buyout to which I say, cool. Like, I don't understand yeah. what that is. Either. No, I mean, listen, the, like,
1: the, the deal with that is that financially, these players who are on the buyout market, they want to go to teams that have showed that they have a chance of winning this year. Right now, in the NBA, Mr. Ainsworth, there are only two teams that are below the cap. One of them's the Knicks. So the Knicks had actually negotiated a contract with you. I think the Knicks are $13.5 million under. And I think the other one's the Charlotte Hornets. And they're under by almost $2 million, I think a little less than that. So, unless you say only teams with cap space can negotiate these things, well, just keep in mind, then, what you're doing is you're essentially forcing Detroit to keep Blake Griffin, you're forcing Cleveland to keep Andre Drummond, you're forcing San Antonio to keep LaMarcus Aldridge, where they've already said, we don't want these guys. Like, it's one thing if these teams in some way shape or form wanting to keep these guys they don't they stop playing them they don't even want them around anymore
0: and it's keeping those players in purgatory right because they get stuck in these bad situations like drummond has played for detroit and cleveland these are two of the worst franchises historically and listen
1: drummond led detroit to a playoff it's not like drummond hasn't put in the work drummond's done everything that he could to help detroit
0: they want to punish the good teams for making savvy moves it's like guess what no matter what the rule book is a well-run team will succeed So if you are a well-run team that is pulling in these guys afterwards, guess what? You change the rules, we'll still be the well-run team and pull them in. And you're going to try and, like, help the poorly-run teams, guess what? The poorly-run teams will still be bad because they're (laughs) poorly-run. Like, there's no way around this. I also think it's interesting that, like, we probably don't have this conversation if Miami makes the better pitch to LaMarcus and signs LaMarcus or if Drummond ends up getting a better pitch. We definitely did not have
1: this conversation around Jeff T going to Milwaukee. Right. right?
0: Or if Drummond had gotten a better pitch from Portland and gone to Portland, are we having this talk? Right? Like I I think the deal here is that we, the conversation is entirely because of what two teams had what we call big wins. I'd also sit here and argue that like Drummond will start because they clearly run the two two big set as they did last year. But there will be a lot of close games on the stretch where when they're all healthy. The Lakers go quote-unquote small with Davis and LeBron, the two big men, keep drumming on the shelf because it helps spread the floor for drive and dish kind of stuff. There will certainly be games where you don't see Blake or LaMarcus on the floor in clutch time for the Nets because they're over the hill at this point in their careers. As much fun as these names are, we both had, you and I did, if the Nets and lakers are healthy when the playoffs start they are two of the three or four teams that have a chance to win this whole thing before and they signed the stand- any
1: of these guys before they signed any of these right. guys we were on that and after signing
0: them if the playoffs start and these two teams are healthy, there are two of the three or four teams that have a chance to win. The like, it didn't change the outcome of the league. I don't understand, frankly, if I'm being real honest, you could have sent all three to any team that's not in that three or four, and I don't know that it would have changed anything anyway. I think the
1: biggest but- thing with the sign-out market this year, Mr. Ainsworth, are the names. It's the names people know. Blake Griffin, right? He ju- he jumps over Kias Not since 2019, but like he, he he actually had a dunk the other day. I shouldn't make fun of him. But like we know Blake Griffin. We know LaMarcus Aldridge we know Andre Drummond like nobody cared last year when the Lakers got Markeith Morris nobody cared right right I remember in uh, it was like 2012 or 2013 when they got Boris Diaz nobody cared nobody cared you know what I mean and again Jeff Teague this year nobody cares they care because they feel like funny. these names somehow make these teams super teams and it's like yeah they would make them super teams if this was five years ago Milwaukee
0: but- got Jeff Teague and it looks like they're on the inside track to get Austin Rivers, both of whom were bought out. I would almost argue those two guys impact Milwaukee more than, <laughs> than Lamarcus impacts Brooklyn. Not that like Lamarcus can go win a game for you if you you know, he gets enough low post touches, gets you twenty five points, they can't guard him, whatever, that's fine in the second unit. But Milwaukee's need at point guard is very different than Brooklyn's need at power forward. I think that those two, because we don't know their names, we're not going to talk about the same way. Those two names could make a lot bigger difference there.
1: The buyout market piece to me, it it reeks of people who are haters. Like, your team's not winning. Maybe you root for one of these teams that bought out one of these guys. And so, you're a hater. Listen, I, I, as someone who's been rooting for the Knicks my entire life, I used to root for us to buy guys out. Like, get rid of Joakim Noah. Why is he still, you know what I mean? Like, that was me trying to get these guys off the roster in some way, shape, or form to help out our financial situation down the road. This is what we forget about, too. These buyouts, long term, actually help the teams that buy out these dudes because now you free up cap space.
0: And I have another question, too, for folks that are mad about this because, you know, the grandiose we want guys to take pay cuts to go play for winners and this the, and the thing a buyout is by and large a pay cut to go play for a winner do you want that or not like you you want you that want when it's your
1: team that's when the it's thing. your
0: team and then when it's at the right time and when it's Absolutely. not creating a super like it, it just do you want guys to take that pay cut or not it's you, just a, like because here's the deal is if blake griffin had stayed in detroit never won a game because Detroit's Detroit, and he had basically wrapped his up career up, finishing out like it looked. Everyone say, like, well, he's just not a winner. He's selfish. He signed that big contract with L.A., by the way, before getting traded. And, <laughs> and oh, man, like, he just shouldn't have been so selfish. Meanwhile, he does this very selfless thing, negotiates to a lower dollar amount, gets bought out, and then goes to Brooklyn to come off the bench. And now we're going to hate the market. exactly like, like that-
1: the piece that you threw out there that we forget about, man— Andre Drummond got traded to Cleveland. Blake Griffin got traded to Detroit. Neither of them guys said, hey, that's my destination. Like, LaMarcus right. Aldridge is even a different deal because he signs the big free agent deal with San Antonio after he leaves Years Portland, ago. right? Years that, ago. And But that being said, when you look at those other two guys, them other two guys got traded somewhere. They didn't ask to be in those situations. So now they, they tried to make the best of those situations. Even Andre Drummond last year played hard in Cleveland. Cleveland's just Cleveland.
0: I don't even necessarily disagree wholeheartedly every time with the teams buying the guys out. I look at Cleveland. We'll talk about how bad Cleveland's been. Cleveland has to be the luckiest franchise in the league because the best player of a generation was born in their backyard, and I don't know what else they've done right since. But they (laughs) currently have four very good players under 22 years old that – schematically don't fit with Andre Drummond. The move for them was, we're going to try and see what we have with these four guys. Even schematically for them, it wasn't a horrible idea. They got Drummond off their books. They get to let uh, Sexton, Garland the rookie they just drafted, Name Escaping Me, and Jared Allen, they get to let them go run, you know? And on Cleveland's behalf, obviously they should have probably traded him, and we talked about why they made that mistake by shelving him too early, but it's not even a bad move on their part, you know?
1: It's funny because you say, hey, what has Cleveland done well, right? And it's like, they, they drafted LeBron, they drafted Kyrie, and... They they did those things well. Um, I'm I'm probably finally <laughs> of the mindset to say that the Anthony Bennett pick is not going to work out. So um, <laughs> so listen, Cleveland's done a couple of things right. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know,
0: as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
1: So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh.
0: I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy.
1: Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, thesis statement number two. We look at the NFL and the huge announcement that they are adding a game to their regular season. We will move from a 16-game regular season to a 17-game regular season. Mr. Ainsworth, the thesis statement reads, The NFL should not have added a 17th game. Pretty straightforward. How are you going to grade that one, sir?
0: I'm going to stick with a C. Uh, I see some of the reasons they did it. I just also see some drawbacks that i don't think they're really weighing in and part of that i guess is because as a player i'm like man that's a lot of games to play so i'm gonna give a C. um your chuckle makes me think you're somewhere in the same ballpark
1: yeah no i'm gonna as well i i was thinking can i go d here just to have a different grade from you and i really i don't think i can go d i'm, I'm gonna go c Friends, uh, Mr. Ainsworth and Mr. Cummings are basically the same person. Who uh, we cannot combine names because apparently <laughs> combine our names are delightfully inappropriate. Uh, that being said, the the thesis statement: the NFL should not have added a 17th game. Uh, on this PG podcast, you went see. I also went see. Uh, now here's here's what's happening with the NFL in the 17th game. Uh, 17 game schedule, one bye week. So they're not adding a bye week. What they're doing is. They've looked at the preseason. They've essentially taken away one preseason game and they converted that to a regular season game. So you'll have three preseason games and NFL teams will host 10 games. So there's still the 20 game configuration that you're working off of. You'll either host two preseason games or you'll host one preseason game. The pieces around home and away. In terms of uh, divisional opponents, don't change. You're still going to play all the teams in your division, one game at home, one game away, right? And essentially, you'll look at the opposite division in your conference, and for your 17th game, you'll rotate through those teams on a four-year cycle, right? So that's what's going to happen. So this year, for instance, uh, the NFC East plays the AFC East, and it's based on where the teams finished. This previous season. So Washington won the division. They will play Buffalo, who won the AFC East. The Giants finished second. They'll play Miami, who finished second. Dallas will get New England. <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, good luck with that one. Um, <laughs> the Jets will get Philly, which uh, feels in the short term like a very good game for the Jets. We'll see how that works out long term, because Philly's traditionally been a good franchise. right? And uh, they'll be home and away, and then they'll start rotating through. So Mr. Ainsworth, we've added the 17th game. You went see. Talk to me about the things you like and some of the things you have questions about.
0: Well, since you asked, the things I like first. I like as a fan getting to watch more games, more real games, I guess, opposed to preseason games because obviously those are the guys I enjoy watching more and they're better at football. And so I like I like watching those games more. I also think that it's worth pointing out that this will, because it's more TV time and more TV revenue, add to the pot of money getting split up amongst the players. And so theoretically, you'll have more money in the salary cap, which means more money in players' pockets. Although I might have negotiated it differently and instead of adding 17th game, just said, well, if you want to give us more money, give us a bigger share of the pie, but they didn't ask me. <laughs> um, I think that that's all fun. I think that my my drawbacks... First of all, like the drawbacks are what brings us down to a C because theoretically adding more games as a fan should
1: always be a good thing, right? No, absolutely. Um, I just I want to throw out the uh, 90s rap reference, Mo Money, Mo Problems, as you go into the problems, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> mo Money, Mo Problems, exactly. So I got a couple problems here. One is this is going to actually end up cutting jobs as I see it because you see less preseason games, which means less preseason tape on those guys trying to make rosters. is doesn't necessarily cut or grow the roster size. I just mean more so that, That is a chance that guys are using to try out and make a roster. It's typically younger guys that succeed and use those as an opportunity. And that's never fun to take away. I also, I'm 100% in this camp where that's a lot of football games to play, as I alluded to in the grading segment. I, I just feel like we see so many wear down injuries in 16 games that adding a 17th is only going to hurt that. And I think that they're sticking with this math that we took away a preseason game and added a regular season game. So it's really no difference. Except we both watch preseason football. Shot, right? <laughs> the guys that were playing in that third
1: preseason game are not the same guys that have be playing in the 17th regular well, season. Well, actually, game. I would say that the guys who play in the first half of the third preseason game are. The deal is that that fourth preseason game, nobody's playing in that, right? So, like, it's it feels like all you've done is you've shifted the emphasis for your preseason games. Now your first preseason game, you'll get your guys in for you know, a drive, maybe a quarter. Your second preseason game now becomes where your starters will play a half. And your third preseason game will be where no one whose name I recognize ever plays. Like, you and I have a chance of getting in some of them third preseason games and we just show up. Like, there's there's no way you're going to play anyone because now you got to jump to that 17-game regular season. And I, I think it's, it's truly a player safety issue. And if the NFL wants to talk about all the things that they're doing in terms of ensuring that long-term players are healthy... especially off of the back of all of the research around head injuries... this feels incredibly irresponsible to me... to say, we're going to convert one of these games to a regular season game... because what you're doing is you're taking those players... who wouldn't have played in a game... and you're adding another game of wear and tear to their body... which, oh, by the way... If you are in the NFL long enough, you're basically going to be adding, like, a season to some of these guys by the time you start looking at the playoff games that they'll play in, this additional regular season game. Well, you're basically adding a season's worth of contact.
0: We just added a playoff team, which
1: adds a playoff game. Like, you yeah. it, Just another set of games to add. Listen, I am pro-money. So, like, if, I get, I get, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. So, the biggest A reason to me is the revenue piece, right? And I do think that the revenue piece for owners, it's going to be a great thing because now you have a regular season game that people will show up to. So people will come, they will pay for parking, pay for concessions. Like there's a recognition that while your season ticket packages required you to purchase the preseason games, that there were a lot of folks who never came to those games. The revenue for a preseason game versus the revenue for a regular season game for the owners, this is a good thing. And, of course, this should trickle down to the players, which we know that all of that stuff is collectively bargained and that's taken care of. I do think that literally the NFL is putting a dollars and cents cost on player safety and player health when it comes to the head injury piece. And if we're willing to collectively bargain that, then I guess that's cool. But it feels like, that, that feels like it's going to be problematic down the road for the NFL and for players in terms of their long-term health and safety. I want everyone to go into football and be 100% healthy. I play the game. I coach the game. I know that things can be done safely. I know that the NFL is doing things in terms of the way that they uh, teach tackling, in terms of the way that they teach blocking, in terms of the terminology that they even use and how that's trickled down to youth football. Like I firmly believe that the NFL is trying and this is a sport in which you have car crashes every play and there's no way to make this thing truly safe. So it feels like adding another game when we know what those ramifications are feels uh, incredibly irresponsible. The focus focus
0: of all those measures you're mentioning are to make it safer, not safe. And that R is really important, right? Because it's never going to be safe. It's going to be safer, but not safe. You know, this is a a jump at more money. And the league is saying this is good for the players because it's more money in the pot. They also, earlier in the month of March, signed a 10-year, $10 billion deal with Amazon for one game a week yeah that just the thursday night games the worst
1: game of the week
0: is worth 10 billion dollars why a the billion. thursday
1: night game gotta be the worst game of the week like some some of us like thursday night football sir no i, I love watching it but the truth is that
0: those guys are playing on a sunday and then having to know that right their sometimes entire week. sometimes
1: that's like the third preseason game where like you yeah, you get guys in there for a half and then they're gone
0: <laughs> and it it's just it's not that there's been as much i think the initial reaction was that there were going to be more injuries on thursday night games that hadn't proven to be the case as much but it really is a diluted product because the teams just haven't had the same amount of preparation time to do by the time you watch one a sunday i i just look at this as they're adding more money and you know the rich get richer they continue to make more money the nfl with the exception of like this brief small dip this year post covid the next 10 years they're making 10 billion on one game a week i i just i understand you need to add more money and adding a whole week's worth of games because if one game a week is worth 10 billion how many more is this whole week of games (laughs) absolutely but it's just i just see drawbacks i get the money and so it wasn't a fail grade but
1: man there's a lot of drawbacks let me throw in the superficial argument too about records like we're gonna do a baseball segment coming up (laughs) and we know numbers really matter there but in a lot of sense right it matters the records that have been established and records were established like with a 13 game schedule, once upon a time, like the big, when we talk about thousand yard rushers, the reason why that's a big deal is because once upon a time we looked at what you needed to average to get a thousand yards in a 13 game season, and then we just took that and we carried it over to 16 games. It's like, oh, if you run for a thousand yards in a 16 game season, that's great. In reality, like it doesn't take much to average what 60 some yards if you're starting NFL running back and get a thousand yards. They just have to hand the ball to you essentially. Now we're going to a 17th game. I mean things like 5000 yards passing in a season have already lost Become a certain more, yeah i mean yeah. they've lost a certain amount of value because it happens so often and now i don't know 1000 yard receiving season is that a big deal the I catch records can, the uh, completion yeah. record i mean these things i don't know it feels like all these things get kind of tossed out now because we're adding this game listen Hopkins is going to end up with the catch record this year I firmly believe that but I believe that with the 16 game season right he's going to pass whatever the record was that was set by Michael Thomas a few years back now you give him another game he's going to put this thing out into the stratosphere and it's going to look like Michael Thomas's season was pedestrian no it wasn't it was great it's just you got a 17 game in there now
0: well and I think there's some of that that is we can use the nuance of adding a game the same way that when, you know, Roger Maris hit more home runs than Babe Ruth, we understood that there were more games. Whatever, they the put
1: run. an asterisk on it. They put an it's asterisk no it. on it.
0: Yeah, but I think that we can understand the nuance there. I think the bigger thing is that it's just expediting the process and, frankly, makes it, from a marketing perspective, these, these records are already about to be broken because the way the game has changed. You're going to have even more records broken. And be like, record-breaking quarterback Patrick Mahomes, record-breaking this, record-breaking that. It's like, well, of course they're breaking records. they get got to play more games. <laughs>
1: Friends, opening day, Major League Baseball happened this week. The Yankees lost a crazy game to Toronto in extra innings that they shouldn't have lost. The Dodgers, man, got a home run taken away, so it could be worse. Um, That being said, let's talk a little bit of baseball, Mr. Ainsworth. Let's specifically talk pine tar, because uh, it's kind of come out that the MLB is going to crack down on this thing. And so uh, the thesis statement reads, Major League Baseball addressing pine tar use by pitchers is ridiculous i say that to you mr Ainsworth. how are you gonna grade that thesis statement i'm pretty high so
0: i'm gonna go like b plus (laughs)
1: um
0: i think it's been part of the game for a long time i'm gonna say with a b plus a minus what do you think mr cummings
1: um so i think i'm at a b as well um it's cheating for sure it 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 doesn't feel like other cheating that baseball didn't want to crack down on so So, Mr. Ainsworth, there are times in life where it feels like there are greater tragedies. Like, there are, there are just hills that you should be willing to die on and some that you maybe shouldn't. And I don't know. Based on our grades, I think we're going to say this pine tar thing is one of these hills you don't need to die on. Major League Baseball addressing pine tar use by pitchers is ridiculous. So, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, just to outline it for folks so that they have an understanding. What is pine tar? Pine tar is the sticky stuff that hitters have used forever to help them get a grip on their back. With the idea being that um, if you use pine tar, it'll stick to your hands, the bat sticks to your gloves. You can actually relax a little bit in terms of the grip while the bat's in your hand. And then when you swing, you can, you know, really put your, uh, your hands into it, right? So you're standing up there, you relax, and then you kind of grip. And so uh, pine tar has been used on bats forever. There's the whole George Brett pine tar game which is incredible um, it's happened with the Yankees so I totally remember George Brett about to kill a guy because he got a home run <laughs> taken away because of pine tar rules but uh, that being said pine tar use on a bat legal that's not the issue it's a foreign substance when used by a pitcher and Major League Baseball sent out this memo cracking down on the use of foreign substances by pitchers and this includes using things like pine tar and so uh, Mike Hill was hired as the executive vice president of baseball operations. He's the uh, he's the rules czar. And so he sends this memo, It says players are subject to discipline, regardless of whether evidence of the violation has been discovered during or following a game. If they're caught using foreign substances like pine tar. And the deal with that is the pine tar. You know, imagine you're a pitcher, you're in a baseball game. You can sweat a little bit. You lose a little bit of grip. Pontar helps you to keep your grip so that you can grip the ball and put it where you want. Now, why is Major League Baseball cracking down on this? The thought is, is we want pitchers to maybe lose a little bit of control. So that way the ball isn't always where they want it to be. And maybe you put more balls in play, a little bit more action in the game, right? And we know that baseball has been trying to find these ways to artificially create more action. So now I say all that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. (laughs) You went B with the idea that this rule is ridiculous. Talk to me about that, sir. Well,
0: and I, I might even get talked into as high as an A by the time the <laughs> competition's over. So I, admittedly, I am a regional sports fan when it comes to baseball, and I watch, I like follow the trends, and then when the playoffs come around, it's great playoffs to watch the baseball play. There's a whole um, joke
1: in here about Pintar cheating versus banging trash can cheating, but we'll save that for another time.
0: No, but that, I mean, I, I don't, my opinion there isn't completely unrelated. My opinion on the pine tar thing is that if this has been such a big part of the game for such a long time, it's interesting that we're going to like crack down on this now. I so I pulled up when I was doing research for this because, like, I was trying to get to a second. I'm not the the biggest baseball guy. Again, watch regionally and then watch the playoffs, and then I followed trends throughout the year. Bleacher Report ran an article back a week ago when this was first being discussed, pointing out that the MLB threatened to take action against pitchers who used and use and substances last year, although no one ever was caught in a new function or fashion, and that the league never actually changed the rules. They also uh, cited an athletic report, then they click over the athletic report. Eno Saris is talking to some people across Major League Baseball, and he doesn't name anyone because they admit that between 75 and and 100% of players <laughs> are, use something while pitching. Okay, So, of course, you're not going to name anyone because it's 100% of
1: people. Right? <laughs> you don't have to name um, anybody. Just name a pitcher.
0: Anyone. Yeah, Any and pitcher. so, one quote from that article is that my guess on total MLB players using some sort of grip enhancement would be 99.9%. That was from a bench coach right <laughs> this, is, this is part of the game and it's one of those things that i look at i'm thinking man if this is that prevalent the goal is not to get rid of it if you think your product is good the goal should be to have some sort of regulation what pine tar is okay what pine tar is not or what substances are okay what substances are not it's the same way like frankly it's not horribly different than what you see like lebron chalk toss into the air right like it's a way to get grip on what you're doing why is that such a like negative impact on the game here
1: well i also it it is it is a negative impact so the, the one argument for regulating this is that any substance on the ball any scuff mark to the ball allows a pitcher to spin that thing in a way that is unnatural, right? So like there there is that piece to it that you can actually now maybe throw pitches that are impossible to throw if you weren't taking advantage of some sort of an illegal substance or taking advantage of some sort of a scuffing of the ball, right? It's obvious that if there wasn't an advantage, pitchers wouldn't do it. So we we recognize that there is that advantage no, that's,
0: right there is that advantage there's also that advantage for the entire hundred plus years that there's been baseball. <laughs> absolutely and it sounds like something that's been around for a long time and and it's just one of those things that i just i feel like it's a part of the game i also would point out that if baseball wants to fix part of the like putting balls in play aspect the bigger issue with putting balls in play to me is that it's strike out a home run that's the only way people swing the bat anymore and
1: i don't know that adding or taking away pine
0: tar necessarily fixes
1: that i would say that There's lots of ways to fix this idea of putting balls in play, including things like cracking down on the shift, right? Baseball feels like it has an action issue, right? And so they're looking at, well, how do we keep the game moving? How do we keep the game moving? How do we keep the game moving? It would be awesome if baseball just embraced who it was and just just understand that based on the nature of the game. It's a game that's not timed. It's a game that's not timed. You're trying to put timed elements into a game that's not timed. Like, stop worrying about that stuff, right? Because it's true. If it's a four-hour game and it's a you know, seven five ball game with this consistent action, people are gonna like that. But just understand that that's not gonna be every game. There's plenty of NFL games that are three nothing and people hate defense and they don't like they don't like that stuff, right? And we understand that the NFL has done plenty to try to change up things like passive interference in order to bring offensive action into the game, right? So I, I I get that. So I'm not saying that it's not like the other leagues haven't done this thing, right? Basketball took away hand checking for a reason. The NHL goes to four on four in overtime for a reason, right? So we recognize that they, they do these things. When I look at pine tar, number one, if everyone's doing it, you're 100% correct. Make it legal. Like that's the issue is regulation, not trying to make something illegal that shouldn't be. Number two, we talked about player safety with football. There's a player safety component here. We actually want pitchers who throw increasingly harder to right. put the ball where they think they're going to put it. Cause what we don't want—I mean, in all seriousness, mister Raynor—we don't yeah, want yeah, yeah. some That's dude a yeah. being Rick Wild Thing Vaughn and taking someone's head off, right? Well, and this is—we don't want it.
0: We don't want it if we're the batters. That would make for great television.
1: television. Well, I don't—I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, I have watched the games. Where dudes genuinely get hit, because I know that you're joking about like Rick Walton and Major League Incredible movie, by the way. But um, that's, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, if, if when dudes genuinely get hit in the head, no one loves that, right? And so no, no, obviously, no. the idea of giving the pitchers more ability to control, so that way those things don't happen accidentally. Yeah, we probably should be looking at that. I, I also think that there's a component as well. Whenever there's a beanball war. Between teams and the bench is clear and baseball hates that apparently, right? So give the pitchers more ability to control. And now they can't say, Oh, it just got away from me. No, you're lying, sir. You have, you have the stickiest substance on the planet on your hands. You can put that ball when you want. So when you hit that dude, you hit him on purpose. So yes, you're getting a 20 game suspension for that. Like it feels like it actually answers a lot of the problems that baseball has, right? If baseball really wants action, we all know what the answer is but we also know that baseball can't do the thing that they should do which is find a way to actually get performance enhancing drugs legalized so that they could be used because that's when you had action but baseball (laughs) can never say oh we're going to find a way to legalize steroids right they can't do that so now they're looking at all these other things that really don't make sense they're tangentially related to action
0: well, and I would say that the deal with steroids became there was concerns about you know the image and the long-term health and those kinds of things. And also, if you want action, I think that the action, if we're recording on Saturday morning, was Friday night when Correa decked Matt Chapman going a second. Uh, that was quite the ah, action. action. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but but no, I think the deal here is that this is another move by a league that you brought up the steroid issue that is reacting to a commonplace practice late. We go back to me being an Astros guy and how like the, the trash cans banging and this, that, and the other thing. The idea of sign stealing, I mean, using technology for it's different, right? And I get that that was a different piece of the 2017 season. But sign stealing as a more broader concept has been around since baseball's inception, right? And steroids were a big part of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s in baseball. And This pine tar thing has been a part of baseball for a long time. So this idea that we're going to try and go back and retroactively fix it now just feels like another moment that baseball is. The truth is, there's this kind of feeling in baseball that if you're
1: not cheating, you're not trying. That's just the the way the game's been. And that's the way the game's always been. Let me say this too, Mr. Ainsworth. What's going to end up happening with this pine tar deal is that managers are just going to go into the game with the gentleman's agreement and they're going to say, we're not going to check it. Like, I'm, right. never, I'm never going to call your picture out on that as long as you don't call my picture out on that. Maybe there just needs to be an understanding that while you might have certain rules in the books, you just don't enforce them. Like, you just don't check if all of a sudden you could say performance-enhancing drugs are illegal, but you just don't test for them. Like, Whatever right don't test well, for and, pot and then you don't get players suspended for it just stop testing there, for this stuff
0: there's been that understanding in in basketball about marijuana because of the aspect of dope and recovery right and like this idea that there's a medical aspect to it like and yeah, different states have
1: different rules as well right right
0: and and so there's been talk about like will the NFL ever adapt that there's no reason that this couldn't become that kind of a rule in baseball too it's not the same kind of thing exactly but it's certainly a rule that could be looked at in the same way where we just yeah it's on the books but who talks about
1: it baseball's demographics a bunch of old guys right a bunch of old writers who write about a bunch of old guys who watch it and they're all like oh stomping their hands about you know cheating and performance enhancing drugs you know how many of them are on viagra sir yeah whatever Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Mr. Ainsworth tried to censor me, but I still got my Viagra joke in. Um, (laughs) PG Podcast, PG Podcast. Uh, Friends, thank you guys for listening. Mr. Ainsworth, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on maybe with midweek Mid range,
0: yeah. So the midweek mid range is a weekly basketball show here with Belly Up Sports. It's a handful of basketball writers talking every Wednesday night. We're live on YouTube and Twitter at nine o'clock Eastern. We talk all things basketball. So last week we talked about pro prospects in the Final Four part in the NCAA tournament. We talked about buyout market. We talked about what buyouts would or would not impact future playoff seedings and stuff like that. And we just looked at the NBA. We look at leagues every week, and you know, what the NBA, like there are rumors and trades. Or Twitter beefs or whatever goes on every week. And so we talk all things basketball Wednesday nights. It's a fun time. It's
1: called the Midweek Midrange. That's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram. So don't be afraid to pull up. Absolutely. I don't know if you noticed, Mr. Ainsworth. I was really trying to cut this segment short. I already thanked people. But before we start thanking people, (laughs) let's, let's go ahead and give folks our socials. So, Mr. Ainsworth, you want to hit folks with your
0: socials, sir? Yeah, you can find my personal stuff at Painsworth512. That's at P A I N S W O R T H 512 on Twitter. And Instagram. You can also follow the show's Twitter. That's at FN Sports too. I'll use dash PA. Shaka will use dash CC.
1: So you know who you're talking to. And then Shaka, we also have an Instagram. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on socials at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That's my Insta. That's my Twitter. Friends, thank you guys for listening. Hey, Mr. Ainsworth, I've ordered like three different pairs of Jordans that are coming in. Two of them you don't have so there we go mm. I'm, just, I'm just trying to keep up with you Mister. Ainsworth. uh friends <laughs> please go out like subscribe share do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast and please remember when it comes to sports don't funk with go. us do you love how i snuck the jordis thing there at the end <laughs> later guys <laughs> <laughs>